Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to David A. Black. David, do you want to say hello? Yes. Hello. Hi. Now, uh, we had you on not that long ago. We talked about um, the new version of your Ruby book. Mm -hmm. You know, we had you and uh, Joseph on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Do you want to just fill us in on anything else that's new in your life these days? And then we'll jump in and get your story on how you got into code and things like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, not too much new with it. That episode was pretty recent. Um, I know Joe's going to be speaking at a couple of conferences and uh, I think speaking about functional programming in Ruby, which is the, the uh, chapter he added to the book, among other things. Um, but yeah, pretty much uh, rolling along as per a few weeks ago. Nice. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to put a link into the episode where we talked about the well-grounded Rubyist. Um, But yeah, so you're one of those people, interestingly enough, that I've run into over and over and over at Ruby events. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've been in the Ruby community for a long time. And so I'm really curious to just, uh, yeah, kind of see what your background is and yeah, get a little bit more context for, you know, the the person that I've gotten to know over the last several years. So let's back up and let's talk about how you got into programming. Okay. Um, When you say back up that we're actually going back to 1972. Um, More than, more than you bargained for. Yeah. You've been coding longer than I've been breathing. If that's the case. Yeah, basically. Well, I am twice as old as most of the people in the field. But, but what happened, and I'll tell this story because it actually, to, to understand why the role of Ruby is so significant in my life, it's, it's useful to know kind of what was going on beforehand. Okay, 1972, I was 13, and I will not go sort of week by week through all those years. But uh, what happened was this. My junior high school had a PDP-8, which was a little computer with paper tape and teletype and so on. And I fell in love with it. And I I actually grew up in a university town and my parents were academics. And being an eighth grader and therefore not realizing how ridiculous it was to do this, I wandered into the University Student Computer Center and said, hi, my parents teach at Yale, can I use your computer? And basically, they, well, they had a PDP-10, a big time-sharing thing. And um, I immersed myself in that for all of eighth grade and much of ninth grade, um, just obsessed with it. I still have some of the paper tapes and printouts and stuff from that time. And then flash forward, so that's 1972 to four, flash forward 
I kind of dropped it. I didn't do much, really anything with computers until I got my first PC in 1987. And of course, my first impulse was to program it. You know, most people just wanted to run Word or whatever. I wanted to see what made it tick. So I, I got back into programming in the late 80s. I did a lot of, now mind you, meanwhile, I had gone to graduate school in a completely different field. I got my PhD in cinema studies at NYU. So I was basically looking to develop a, an academic career in the media studies and film studies fields. And I did, in fact, I started teaching um, in that field in 1992 and uh, got tenure and so forth. And meanwhile, and the, the threads of this are kind of parallel. Meanwhile, I was getting very much back into computers. Um, I had my first Unix account, I think in 1990 or 91. And then the university where I was teaching was getting very into technology. And even though I was not teaching computer stuff, I was very deeply involved with you know, faculty committees about technology. I actually had the first um, live Linux hookup on campus. It really, it was funny because I'm not sure that they really knew what it meant to have live uh, static internet outlets in every dorm <laughs> and every classroom and every, and I did know, so, uh, and they got rid of them eventually, but, you know, I plugged my little ethernet cable in in my office and started up my own server. and. It was it was kind of frowned upon, and actually we ran into some security issues, so I, I dismantled that eventually. But but also at the university, um, they you know within a, a year or two they had become very supportive of faculty who wanted to do sort of interesting things, uh, even have their own servers or departmental servers or whatever. So they were they were growing, and I was I was kind of along along for the ride. Now Ruby. <laughs> In November of 2000, I, at that point, was doing a lot of Perl. I actually had written all of my own grading and course management and syllabus software in Perl. Oh, wow. So you were still teaching at that point? I was, oh, yes. I was still teaching, uh, but very much, you know, it, it was, it was, you could say it was a hobby. It was kind of a semi-professional pursuit at that point. So in 2000, yes, I was still teaching and in November of 2000, the Pickaxe book came out, Programming Ruby by Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt. I stumbled onto the Pickaxe book in a bookstore near where I then lived, and I opened it up and just absolutely fell in love with Ruby. I mean, by the time I got to the cash register, it was like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is the thing for me. You know? And in the aftermath of that, in the next few years, let's say between two, the late 2000 and mid 2004 when Rails appeared. So there was this, this kind of pre-Rails mm -hmm. period. And the great thing was by getting very into Ruby in late 2000, um, it was certainly a big community in Japan, but outside of Japan, it was really just beginning to take off. And of course, the Pickaxe book was a large reason for that. That was the first English language book on Ruby. There were many in Japanese at that point, but this was the first one in English. So there I was on the Ruby mailing list and 
it was quite small, really. I mean, and and Dave Thomas was on it, and Matt was on it, and Jim Wyrick and Chad Fowler, and yeah, I mean, it was you know a kind of incredible situation where this this thing it was not exactly new, but it was kind of gaining this this new life outside of Japan, and and there we were. Then among the sort of highlights of that period in two thousand one, there were some plans to have an international Ruby conference. The person who originally organized it and found a venue, it was actually in Tampa, for various personal reasons, had to kind of kind of drop out of the, the scene at that point for a while. Um, Dave Thomas approached me and Chad Fowler and said, you know, I really want this conference to happen. I don't want it just to kind of fizzle out. Would you guys mind sort of taking it on and making sure it actually happens and, and so on? So. We had the first International Ruby Conference in, I believe, October of 2001 uh, in Tampa. And there were something like 33 or 34 people there. And we all gave talks. Um, and it was just wonderful. I mean, it was a small, you know, one-track one conference. But the next year, we decided we had to uh, come up with a, an organization. Basically, the first year, we you know, the, the money such as it was, was kind of flowing through my personal bank account. It wasn't, we didn't have, you know, anything very, we didn't have an organization, parent organization for the event or anything. So anyway, we created this organization, Ruby Central, which is still uh, running that conference among other things. Yeah. RubyConf and RailsConf, I believe at this point. Yes, that's right. In those years we did, we did RubyConf every year. And they were and then, for Ruby gems to run and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And um, yeah, we had a uh, regional conference grant program, which was really cool. And, and regional conferences really, I think in the Ruby world, you know, really took off and, and, uh, and made it possible for m many more people to speak at conferences than would have been the case if it were just a couple of big, you know, international right. conferences every year. So then in 2004, I'm still teaching, right? Um, it was kind of funny because people in the Ruby world, some of them knew what I actually did. Some of them just assumed I did Ruby or did programming or whatever. Mm -hmm. So 2004, Rails came along and suddenly the world was knocking at our door. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because we had a lot of conversations about, you know, what's going to be the killer app in Ruby and all this kind of thing. And the one thing nobody ever said was anything connected with the web or web development. Right. Because we thought, we thought, you know, Pearl has that wrapped up or whatever, you know. So there it was. And it was, it was quite amazing. At RubyConf in 2004, I think, was about 65 people. And the next year, it was over 200. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was very, uh, our kind of slightly kind of seat of the pants approach really was put under great stress by that. And, and we had, you know, we had <laughs> yes. to, you know, come up with ways to sort of, audit. I think we, we started using, I don't know, Eventbrite or whatever it was. Um, but anyway, in terms of my Ruby story, Really, the turning point was 2005 because Rails had become very big very quickly. At the university, I was approaching a year-long sabbatical. In other words, I was scheduled to be on a research and writing leave 
for the whole academic year 2005 to 2006. And I would be expected to write a book in my field or equivalent and probably write a book. I had a proposal, you know, for a book on on media and so forth. Um, The problem was I actually had a contract for a Ruby book. uh, (laughs) The publisher Manning, uh, which is also the publisher of The Well-Grounded Rubyist, they had approached me and said, you know, we we've heard about this this Ruby thing and this Rails thing, and and your name was given to us as somebody who might be able to give us some advice. And what they wanted to know was, is this a, a good thing to publish books about? Should we do a Ruby book and or a Rails book? And if so, do you know anyone who would want to write it? And I had already the idea for Ruby for Rails, mm-hmm. kind of the predecessor of the well-grounded Rubyists. And I said, yes, you should publish Ruby books and and I have an idea for one. Oh nice. And that what so three weeks later I had a book contract for Ruby for Rails. And that was 2005. A few years ago at a JavaScript conference, I was approached by Nader Dabbit. And you might know him for the React Native Radio podcast. He's also a developer evangelist for Amazon. And when he came to me, we had a conversation about React Native. And the thing that I love about React Native is that it's approachable, it's web technology, and it's cross-platform. And it makes a lot of things really easy for developers to jump in and do interesting things on mobile with JavaScript. So we've had this show now running for several years, React Native Radio, where we interview people about the React Native ecosystem, some of the things that are coming out in React and how they affect mobile, and other options that you have for mobile development. So if you're doing mobile development, you're doing it in JavaScript, you're looking for a good option, or maybe you're just trying to stay current with React Native, then go check out React Native Radio at reactnativeradio.com. So what happened was, in the summer of 2005, I kind of soul-searched a bit, and I said, you know, I, I have tenure. I have a lifetime contract as a professor. However, I, you know, I, I really want to write this Ruby book. I have a contract for the Ruby book. I don't want to have to write two books. I feel like the, my interest has shifted really to the the programming and and computer stuff. It was not an easy decision and very few people with academic tenure walk away from it. It's it's pretty hard to get and increasingly so. So it was a pretty, you know, monumental step to take, but it was absolutely the right thing for me. I mean, you know, it was kind of clear. There's a whole bunch of reasons why I, you know, I just didn't see myself teaching between then and the end of my work life uh, or teaching in that context anyway. And there was, I was so excited about the possibilities with Ruby. And, and again, I was in a a really strangely (laughs) unique position in the sense that I, I was already kind of an old timer by the time rails came around. And, and so, you know, I mean that, that experience that playing that role or having that sort of position in a, in a, community like that was just really just luck. I mean, if I hadn't happened to run into that book that day in 2000, um, well, who knows? But I mean, it, it, I don't give myself much credit for, for its having happened, though I think I've taken advantage in a good way of, of a lot of the opportunity, opportunities that it has presented. So then for the next, well, from, yeah, 2005, for several years, I, I, having said, okay, I'm going to resign from the university and go be a programmer, for, I would say, four to four and a half years, I made probably 
90% of my living doing training. I actually had very few programming clients. I got, not surprisingly, <clears throat> excuse me, not surprisingly, given my teaching background, I quickly got into the training loop. I had, there were some um, training companies that would hire me. I also set up my own courses, which was kind of high risk, high reward. Sometimes you'd have to cancel them because of lack of uh, attendance. Sometimes they were really, you know, really well attended and, and really fun and so forth. I did a I remember the complete Rubyist. Was that one of them? Yes, I was about to say yes. Jeremy McAnally and Greg Brown and I concocted this thing called the complete Rubyist, spelled E A T. And yeah, that's we, why I remember it is because it had that funky spelling. And I that's like, right. That's, that's right. That. Very well branded, right? And um, we did that three or four times, I think. Uh, you know, sort of took our show on the road, and that was really fun. That was that was a lot of fun, and just great. Also, working with those two guys and kind of yeah, they're great guys. Yeah, yeah, pooling our our resources and our efforts. It was it was good. So yeah, so what happened basically was then there was a recession, and <laughs> it became harder and harder to find clients of any kind. And also, you know, as two thousand six, seven, eight went by. I was not, you know, the only fish in the sea, so to speak. I mean, in other words, there's more competition and fewer clients. And I've never been good at promoting myself. I mean, I, I, it was getting to the point where it was hard to drum up work and, and I w just wasn't good at being the one who could get the work when there was a lot of competition. That was never my strength. So basically, at the end of 2009, I kind of packed it in and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to work for someone else. And I pretty quickly actually talked to Joe Leo, who is my co-author on the third edition of The Well-Grounded Rubyist. And at the time, I knew him because uh, he had been actually a student in one of my training classes. He was working for Cyrus Innovation, the consultancy in New York. And I said... You want me? <laughs> can, I, can I be of any use to Cyrus? So they hired me, and I worked for Cyrus uh, for a while. And then, you know, since then, it's been mostly various. I've done some consulting, also. It's, you know, there's been periods where I've I've sort of freelanced as a consultant. I've now been at Two U for three and a half years, which is you know far and away the longest sort of continuous thing I've done in the in professionally in the computer world and uh and yeah that's pretty much where i am at at this point that's interesting and, and it's really uh, there aren't so many people now that you can talk to about you know those early days of ruby i mean a 38 person conference yeah yeah, yeah right yeah i mean i i i've been to users groups that are larger than that right yeah well that I, right exactly i remember saying at a couple of user group meetings you know, if you if you want to know how successful you've been in creating this user group, the first international Ruby conference was smaller than our meeting tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But look at who was there. I mean, it was really, you know, amazing. I mean, Nathaniel Talbot talking about test unit and Andy Hunt talking about sneaking Ruby into the enterprise <laughs> 
And then the next year, 2002 in Seattle, Jim Weirich unveiled Rake at the conference. Yeah. In 2004, David Heinemeyer Hansen uh, presented on rails. It was funny because I didn't, I, I have bet pretty bad antennae. Sometimes I, I don't <laughs> always know exactly what's, I'm not as cutting edge or something. So Chad Fowler and I were, were starting to organize the conference and getting requests, getting um, proposals. And there was one from David Heinemeyer Hansen about this thing called rails. And I said, I did, Chad, do you know, do you know what this is? Do we want this? <laughs> Chad said, Oh yeah, we want this. <laughs> we want him to speak. So he spoke. And uh, it was funny. I, I got very into rails very quickly. I, my first sort of exposure to rails, I probably shouldn't admit this because it involves not, not really paying attention to one of the speakers. <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but basically I had, David Heinemeyer Hansen in the row behind me in a, some private chat channel kind of explaining, I was starting my first application and asking him questions and he was answering my questions. And uh, it was very exciting. I got, I got very into it very quickly. And of course that led to, uh, to the, the first book and so forth. And, uh, and that's just kind of gone on from there. That's awesome. And I love just, you know, it's, it's context that you don't get, you know, just being in the community. I mean, even as long as I've been in the Ruby community, it was before I was really involved. And I, I love just kind of capturing those ideas and going, interesting, you know, that, that's, that's where that came from. And this is where, you know, the ball kind of got started, got rolling. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of little, so I, to me anyway, kind of interesting, um, tidbits of of history if you want to call it that like ruby gems for example there's some some creation myths surrounding ruby gems in certain respects and it's actually worth explaining ruby gems the the current incarnation of ruby gems more or less, i don't know how much code is still in there from from this event but in i'm going to say 2000, it might have been 2004 or five or somewhere in there. My memory of it is that we were all kind of clamoring for some kind of uh, packaging system for mm-hmm. Ruby. And I said, and some sort of, you know, town hall with Matt's, which we did at every conference. Um, I said, you know, I know you're a benevolent dictator, but I think for package management, we need a little less benevolent and more dictator. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you want? What would you put in Ruby? You know, what, right. what would you embrace? And um, he mentioned Ruby gems and the reason he mentioned, and then, oh, then five of us uh, that night sat down and wrote the first of what, what is now Ruby, the first version of what is now Ruby gems. But now that story is pretty well circulated, I think. However, what people have almost completely forgotten is that actually the concept of Ruby Gems and the name Ruby Gems was introduced in 2001 at the first Ruby conference by a guy named Ryan Levengood. And Ryan Levengood did a sort of proof of concept demonstration of Ruby Gems, you know, sort of package management, whatever. I don't remember the details of exactly how he did it, but he had come up with the name Gems. Mm-hmm. Uh, his talk on that, and he kind of—I wouldn't say disappeared. I, I'm not sure exactly what was pulling him in different directions, but he—he he became a lot less involved and less visible. And Ruby Gems kind of languished, 
Um, and that's why in 2004 or five or whatever it was, everybody knew the name Ruby Gems. And so, you know, it was possible for Matt to say, create Ruby Gems and for us to say, we're going to implement Ruby Gems tonight or whatever. Because that had been a, a thing since 2001, but I never really hear anyone mention Ryan Levengood anymore. It's, it's, you know, good to, to correct the record, assuming my memory is reasonably accurate. Um, so that goes, goes pretty far back. And like I said, Nathaniel Talbot um, introduced Test Unit at that first Ruby conference. And that was exciting for me because I actually was never... I didn't write a lot of tests when I did Perl. I ran a lot of code and did my own sort of QA, but I didn't, as far as I remember, I, I didn't really write suites of tests. I certainly didn't do test-driven development. Right. That was very, it was really kind of, you know, breathing this this cool, clear air of, of TDD, you know, to have Nathaniel present this. And I, you know, that was very exciting. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a, a lot of things have have happened, uh, mostly good. Yeah, and yeah, it's been it's been kind of amazing. I'm I'm a little curious too because you were involved in organizing uh, RubyConf or RailsConf or both for a while. Do you have any things that happened there that just kind of you know blew your mind or you know I, I mean you've talked about some of the things that got implemented that I think a lot of Rubyists today just take for granted like Rake and Ruby Gems. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, were, were there any things that were memorable at any of the conferences that were either sort of not planned but were really cool or were, you know, kind of terrifying when they happened? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a, a lot of a lot of cool things. Um certainly yeah, the Ruby gems stuff and and the introduction of Rails and and so forth. Yeah, there was kind of a, you know, a lot of excitement around those and also, I'll tell you one thing I remember, I mentioned a few minutes ago that there were a lot of books about Ruby in Japanese. In 2002, one of our guests from Japan came over to the conference with a copy of every Ruby book then in print in Japan. And keep in mind that the first English language book had come out less than two years before. There were, there's a photograph of this somewhere. I think there were 23 books in Japan oh, wow. and all sorts of things like CGI in Ruby and this and that in Ruby and learn, probably a learn to program. All this stuff, it was really a revelation. It was like, yes, this really was popular. It really was and is popular in Japan. It's not just something we say, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a whole sort of industry of Ruby in Japan by the early 2000s. And, and we were in that sense, kind of the, the, the latecomers. One of my favorite communities to get involved with these days is the Angular community. There are so many great people there. We've had a lot of them on Adventures in Angular over the last several years. And I really wanted to just highlight people and give you a chance to get to know the flavor and the feel of being around some of these awesome people. We've talked to people on the Angular core team. We've talked to people who have organized the conferences. We've talked to some of the co-hosts that I've had on Adventures in Angular. Nowadays, Aaron Frost is running the show and he's doing the same thing. Typically, he's been doing it at conferences lately, which is a lot of fun. But you get to hear what these people are about and why they care and how they get involved with other people in the Angular community. So if you're looking for that connection in the Angular community and a way to really understand the people who are involved in the Angular community, then go check out My Angular Story. You can find it at myangularstory.com. 
Yeah, we had some we had some good conference venues. You know, it was also as conferences tend to be an opportunity to uh, just to to see interesting places and so forth. There was there was a certain amount of um, debate about moving from the one track format, and I was always kind of an adherent of the one track format because partly because. But actually, not only the first Ruby conference and the second Ruby conference, but also some academic conferences I'd been to um, that were one track. Ten- they tended to cohere in a way that was just really memorable and cool. And yet we reached a point where part of the problem was we wanted more people to get a chance to speak. Right. You know, we had a one track. We'd have whatever, 15 or 18 people. And as the community was growing, there was a lot to say. <laughs> and part of the res- our response to that at Ruby Central was to create this regional conference grant program so right. that people could go around and, and do stuff. And, and, and local pe- you know, people within a city um, could kind of have their own, their own th- or within a region could have their own uh, event. And that I think was very, very good, and and you know sort of sp- sparked a lot of a lot of interest in organizing conferences. I actually ended up kind of advocating going to multi-track, and I have a, a blog post about it somewhere, which was kind of just me sort of soul searching about you know I love one-track conferences, but it it's just not going to work at scale. You know they're they're not supposed to have this many people you know? right. um, and having, you know, 33 people spend three days together in a room is very different from having 800 people spend three days together. It's, it's not the same thing. It's it, it, so it, it, as much as I wanted to cling to it, it didn't really continue to make sense. We also, when it came to RailsConf, that was, I, I was involved in that, but that was mostly Chad Fowler's, project and we we teamed up with with o'reilly with the conference department at o'reilly for for some of those and actually i served as program chair for RailsConf europe a couple of times it wasn't i guess it wasn't a huge success i mean i don't know i I liked it but they didn't repeat it after the first couple of years i think right Um, but still that was you know that was i think worth worth having done yeah, there, I, I'm. I'm in a few programming communities that have tried getting big conferences going in Europe, and they a lot of times it feels like they have to cast a pretty wide net to make mm. it work, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember even in great detail, but uh, well, one thing one thing that happened at Ruby uh, RailsConf Europe 2006, maybe whatever it was. Um, we invited uh, Roy Fielding, the creator of REST, to be a speaker at this conference, a, a keynote speaker. And it was really cool because REST in Rails was, you know, th- that was kind of around whatever. Yep. A couple of years into Rails, it, it kind of took that turn toward, uh, toward the RESTful. Um, and it was the first time David Heinemeyer Hansen and Roy Fielding had been in the same room together I, it was just kind of cool to see them interact and and uh you know so it was i felt good about about sort of orchestrating things like that you know that was a kind of cool moment yeah it makes sense that that's really that's really great really just and then i love that that kind of 
thing too, where it's just like, yeah, you know, we've got this full throated endorsement, I guess, of rest. And yeah, then you get like an implementer and an idea guy behind the same, you know, behind right. the same mic, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe well, this is a long time ago. I think Roy Fielding said something like he felt that Rails did it the best of any <laughs> any whatever system or whatever that kind of implemented rest in that in in that kind of way. I won't I won't hold him to that now. It's you know 13 years later. <laughs> I don't know whether he's still, but uh, you know, but but it was it was kind of a cool event. And then I'll just add, you know, Ruby Central has changed directorship and they're just doing a great job. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, it's great to see it flourish and, and the continuity, you know, is to me very, very gratifying. Yeah, we, I guess Chad and I and Rich Kilmer were involved for something like 10 years. And then, you know, it was kind of time to, to hand it off. So we did. Yeah. And uh, I think they rotate directors now. You know, I'm, I'm not even sure. I, that's why I probably, that's probably why I don't remember who all, well, Evan Phoenix is, I believe, still involved and uh, Abigail Phoenix is involved. But yeah, I'm a, actually a little kind of rusty on who's, who's running the show right now. But, but yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, it's not sort of whatever yeah. lifetime appointments. Right? <laughs> Yeah. That's good. Nice. So what are you working on these days, David? Mainly work, work, mainly my work at, at 2U um, and trying to practice the cello more. That's really, <laughs> I, I admit, I haven't taken on any kind of, um, you know, pet programming projects recently because there's really kind of other things I want to do, mainly music. So, yeah, so I've, to most most of my programming has been at work now i i also have other well other than the well-grounded rubius third edition i don't have any big writing projects i kind of wish i did i think it would be it would be cool to do another book but um yeah it would be really fun to have another book project i just don't know what it would be i'm kind of spoiled because of this um like i say kind of unique relationship I have with Ruby and the history of Ruby and the Ruby community, it's not really going to happen again. So I can't, you know, if I want to write a book, it's going to have to, it's not going to be sort of the the second book anyone's ever written on a certain program. You know what I mean? It's not that's that kind of thing is not really available, but, uh, but also I just haven't, you know, it's writing a book is, is a pretty huge deal. I mean, I've done it. I've done academic writing. I've done, uh, computer technical writing and I, I love writing but I don't have anything in the pipeline right now we'll see we'll see what happens nice yeah I um, I finished a book earlier this year that I'm working on getting uh, published and yeah <laughs> it's a ton of work yeah <laughs> take some yeah. discipline yeah even revising you know even updating um, oh I'm sure can be a lot well, to me, that sounds a little bit more like working with legacy code. It's like, okay, how do I encapsulate the, you know, what yeah. needs to stay and mm-hmm. fix what needs to change. Right. And and not fix what doesn't need to change. Right. You know, if it, if, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, Joe, we talked about in our Ruby Rogues episode, you know, Joe 
just put in incredible effort in in that edition and um, was really, you know, he, he wrote the whole new chapter on functional programming, but also added a lot of examples and exercises and just, you know, just brought a new eye to everything. And uh, that was, that was really terrific. Yep. Cool. Well, um, I guess the last thing is if people want to connect with you online, where do they go? You can find me through davidablack.net. Just ignore the fact that it's a really neglected website. I'm also, (laughs) for email, I'm david at davidablack.net. Twitter, I'm David underscore A underscore Black. I didn't quite get under the wire. You know, these these really the really cool people like Jeremy McAnally and uh, and Sebastian Delmont. You know, they have two letter Twitter handles. You know, I I I'm not that cool, so <laughs> so mine is actually my name. Yeah, well, you can't have it all, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, the last thing is picks. I'm I'm going to throw in some picks. So. Uh, this last week, I was at RxJS Live, which is a conference around um, the observ- observables library for JavaScript. And that that's not really my pick. It was a cool conference, but um, it was a one track. It was in a movie theater, which was kind of nice, um, just because it kind of forced everybody into the same area. But the thing that I figured out was I really enjoy doing interview video content at conferences. And mm. so I actually got a new camera which I'm super excited about. It's a Nikon D5600. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the package that has two lenses in it. So it has the, I think it's like 17 to 30-ish millimeter. And then it has the longer lens for, you know, shooting from further away. Then I also got, so I'm going to pick that because it's, it's a super nice camera. It's funny because I have another one that I spent more on and I like this one a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have the Rode um, Newscaster microphone set and it's it's wireless and what it is is it has the receiver that plugs into the headphone jack on the camera and then um it has the transmitter that you actually screw onto the bottom of an xlr mic and so then i can stand away from the camera and i can just you know we can hand the microphone back and forth um i want to figure out how to get another one um and hook it onto the camera so that i can have two of them running at the same time and what that would do for me is essentially it would give me the option to run two mics, right? And then I could just split them into the, the, um, the, the camera. And then um, I also got an LED light off of uh, Amazon. And that just, you know, gives a little bit better lighting when we're in uncertain lighting. In the movie theater, the, the lighting was kind of suspect until we moved over by the door and got sunlight coming mm-hmm. into the door. And so we weren't in direct sunlight, but it was enough. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, so I, I really, I'm, I'm really digging it. Um, and you know, I have a tripod and some other things, but yeah, that, that's basically my setup. So, um, I'm planning on going to GitLab connect, um, in New York city next week. And then I'm going to be at uh, Jamstack conf in October and I'm probably going to wind up at KubeCon in no, in November. I'm also going to be at Microsoft ignite in November. And I'm trying to figure out how RubyConf will fit in <laughs> into November. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, it's just been a really great way to connect with people because it gives you a reason to, you know, just walk up to somebody and talk to them and then, you know, kind of capture a little bit of, of who's there and why they're there. So 
anyway, if you're interested in RxJS, you can see the videos. I'll have them up on YouTube pretty soon. And uh, we're probably going to also release some of those on JavaScript Jabber and some of the other shows because RxJS is kind of core to Angular. It's starting to be used more widely in the React and Vue communities. So anyway, uh, lots of stuff there, but I'm, I'm really digging the camera setup. So Great. excellent. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me, David. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And yeah. I will see you next time. Yep. See you next time. Okay. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.